All right, we're going to be talking about talking to God as Father. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I was out of town last Sunday uh, at a conference, but uh, two weeks ago we talked about prayer, and this is a prayer series. We'll be talking probably about prayer all the way to Easter, but uh, we'll have a special Easter message for that. But uh, last two weeks ago when I was talking about prayer has... You know, the devil just really condemns people when it comes to the area of prayer. Uh, either you don't pray long enough or you're not praying right or you're not praying at all or, or you're just, you're a horrible prayer. So it brings condemnation. You know, even as a pastor, the devil's jumped on my shoulder in that. And I let him, I let him talk me into it. But, you know, prayer is just basically a relationship and communion with God. It's not, uh, you know, you don't have to turn into King James to talk to God. Have you ever been in a, a service where people start saying thouest and sayest and most holiest? And, you know, you don't uh, have to do that. And if you do, I'm not mocking you um, on purpose. But anyway, um, but prayer is just being yourself before God. It's just being yourself before God. And... Uh, and prayer has become, the devil has really made prayer such a religious thing in the church. A religious thing. And it causes people not to be sincere. That is the number one thing. When you come before God, just be sincere. God, I'm struggling today, you know. I mean, no, that's a prayer. I'm struggling today, God. You know, and uh, I, I, I'm struggling with my boss. I'm having a good attitude with my boss. I'm having a... Poor attitude with my spouse. Okay. But anyway, you just be sincere before God. Don't get religious on Him. And so, um, and then we talked about, you know, about vain repetition and, you know, the Sadducees, Pharisees, all the religious people of Jesus' time, they would just quote long repetitious prayers. And God said, don't do that. It needs to come from your heart. And, uh, you know, you can go in automatic mode when you, you pray. Have you ever just gone into automatic mode so you just start talking to God, Lord, thank you for this day, thank you, la, 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 la. I remember, um, you know, have you driven by automatic pilot before? You've dri Like when you go to work, you know, what, you get to a destination and you think, how did I get here? Because you just, it's, you're brainwashed. And uh, for about the last 10 years or so, I, I go to Safeway to pick up donuts and bagels for the church. I pick up donuts and bagels for the church. If y'all don't want them, I can stop, I can stop doing that. But uh, I can pick up rice and green beans. But anyway... Um, only one person likes that. No one else will, trust me. But anyway, uh, so I, I, I just do that every Sunday morning. Well, one Friday evening, we had some visitors, some guests come over our house, and Melanie goes, oh, Mike, before they get here, can you run to Safeway to, to get something, you know? So I ran to Safeway to get something, and when I came out of Safeway, you know, on Highway 50, instead of turning right to go back home, I turned left and came to the church. Melody calls me right before I get here, and she says, where are you at? 
said, I'm on my way to the church. She said, why? I don't know. I'm turning now. She goes, what were you doing? I go, babe, I've been doing this for 10 years. It was just, man, I just, you go to Safeway, then you go to church. It's just Safeway, church, Safeway, church. You do that for 10 years, and you tell me to go to Safeway, I go to church. So if somebody's struggling about going to church, just have them go to Safeway first. That's a bad joke. But anyway, uh, but my point is you, you just turn in automatic mode. God doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to be, number one, yourself. Don't get all ooky spooky spiritual on God and, and just talk to him, commune to him. The number one thing that I've talked to God is I just want to get to know him better. I want to get to know God better. And the, the more that I know about him, the less I ask of him. My petition level has gone way down. And I, we'll talk about that, about, you know, we're supposed to bring our petitions before him. But the biggest thing I do before God is I thank him. I thank him. Thank you for a healthy body. Thank you for a healthy mind. Thank you for a healthy church. Thank you for our church. And you just start thanking him. But anyway, uh, God, I just want you all to know this. A lot of times we think God answers our prayers about how good we have been. You ever do that? You ever thought that? Don't raise your hand. But anyway, uh, that's a rhetorical question. But uh, I used to think that, man, I have not been very good. I've been doing this. And so I just think, why even pray? God's not going to answer it. I mean, you think that, that's, a, that's wrong. Do you know God doesn't answer your prayers based upon uh, your actions? He bases it upon Jesus. How many think that's good news? He does what he does because of Jesus in spite of you. There is one thing that we'll talk about probably next week in Mark eleven twenty four 24, is that when you stand praying, you believe. That's my part, and that's your part. That's my part, and that's your part. To believe while you stand praying. Believe. Believe what? Believe that you receive what you ask of him. So that is a big part. But as far as what a lot of Christians are thinking is that I haven't been good enough, so God's not going to answer this prayer, that is wrong theology. It's wrong doctrine. Not that, you know what that would mean? Nobody gets their prayers answered. Nobody. And I mean nobody. If it's based upon you being perfect and you being, and listen, God doesn't grade on a curve. So you need to say, well, I haven't been as bad as these people, so, you know, at least I'm not flunking. I may be getting a C, but God doesn't grade on the curve. Either you're perfect or you're not, and so nobody's perfect, so we have to have a Savior. His name is Jesus, and once you receive him, now you can get all of your prayers answered because of Jesus, because of him. Can you say amen? Amen. We're going to talk about uh, what most people know as the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. I mean, I mean, I, I watched, uh, I forgot the name of that movie, Something Horizon, where the, it was a true story about the oil rig that blew up. Deep Horizon. And at the, when they all got off the, the uh, burning infernal oil rig, you know, they got on this ship and, and they all start saying the Lord's Prayer, which I thought, man, that's pretty good. But this is the thing. You can say that, Lord's Prayer, and it'd be just like me going to Safeway and then going to the church. There's no heart in it. It's just a religious prayer. 
We're going to talk about this, and it may shock some of you, but uh, the Lord's Prayer, it's got, it's got some tremendous principles in it about what we are to pray or think about prayer, but it's not a prayer that Jesus never did say this prayer so everybody would just repeat that prayer, and that's their prayer. Are you all listening? Are you really listening? Because this next statement may slap you upside the head statement. You know what that means? This is not a new covenant prayer. Same response I got in the first service. How many know that Jesus prayed this and he was talking to the disciples and to the people before the cross? How many know that the cross and the resurrection brought in the new covenant? Are you following me? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are actually still under the old covenant. You, it says New Testament. It is part of the New Testament, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are part of the old covenant because Jesus hadn't died and resurrected again. That's what brought in the new covenant. Is you following me? Does that make sense? All right, so we're going to go through this a little bit. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Notice he doesn't say, Our Judge. It says, Our Father. The point is, anytime you go to pray to God, you go with the attitude of, My Father. My father, not just the father, but my father. Now, I've thought of this, you know, I mean, I'm a father, and so you, you may not have any children, you may have children, but everybody, you can think of what a great, great, unbelievable, awesome father would be. Can, can you let your imagination go there? So, you know, I, I let my imagination go there, so I think that, well, first of all, I would, it would be awesome to have a father that uh, loved you no matter what unconditional love and uh, it, it would be great to have a father that no matter what would never leave you nor forsake you it would be great to have a father that said listen you will not lack in your lifetime what it would be great to have a father that says you know what I'm going to make sure that no matter what comes if the devil comes against you one way he's going to flee seven if, if he comes against you with sickness, I've already taken care of a healing uh, covenant. So you're under that healing covenant. You never have to worry about cancer. You never have to worry about sugar. You don't have to worry about colds. You don't have to worry about headache. I've taken care of all of it. I am the father of all fathers. How many think that'd be a pretty good father? How about this one? How about, uh, you know what? there's a lot of trying times and uh, the economy goes up and down, but I want you to know that I'm always going to provide for you. You will not lack. I'm going to be the great shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That would be a good father. Ooh. How about a father who just says, you know what, I'm going to give you wisdom because you, you're not going to have it all together all the time. And everybody said, we don't have it all together. No matter how much education, no matter how smart, intellectual we are, you're not going to, there's going to be sometimes, you know, you know, especially for men, most goals of men is please don't let me 
look stupid today. Women don't think that way. But anyway, that's just a thought that I've had every once in a while. But anyway, maybe it's just me. But my point is this. It would be so awesome to, to have a father that says, I'm going to teach you and give you wisdom and help you in every area of your life. So that's the attitude. Every time that you pray, that's the attitude of who you're coming to. Yeah, that's the attitude you're supposed to have every time you go to God. Because when I was growing up, it's like uh, you sheepishly, you know, come to the throne of grace. You know, it's called the throne of grace. That means you're coming here and you don't deserve it, but you're getting it all. You don't deserve it, but you're coming to church. I mean, you're coming to the throne and you get it all. It's called the throne of grace. Grace. Grace means I don't deserve this, but boy, I got an awesome father who gave it all to me. I don't know, but that just makes you want to go and pray and talk to this guy a little bit more often. The throne of grace. So how would be your name? So he, he, he's letting everybody, he's holy. So you're coming with a thanksgiving heart to the father. In Psalms 100, verse 4, it says, Coming to his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. So you're coming in being thankful, man. Just, man, Father, you are so awesome, so holy. And then verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A couple of things here. Your kingdom come. What, is, what does that mean? Well, it can mean a couple of things or more than a couple of things. But we, we know that uh, there is going to be a future kingdom set up on this planet. The new Jerusalem, heaven, is going to come down. There's going to be a new earth, uh, and this earth will be made new, and God is going to come down and set up his kingdom, and Jesus is going to rule and reign as the El Presidente over the whole world. No more, are you ready? No more Congress and senators and voting. and That's enough just to make you happy right there. Not getting political, but it'd be good to get rid of the politics. But anyway, and, uh, and Jesus is going to rule perfect. It's going to be a perfect government. Did you realize there's never been a perfect government? But when Jesus comes, it's going to be a perfect government. So, that's, so he said, thy kingdom come. He could be meaning that, all right? But also, uh, Jesus said that the kingdom is it says within you, the Greek term there is that it's around you. So Jesus is the king, so he represents and is the kingdom. So when you and I get born again, you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, not only does the king come and live inside of you, but his kingdom, what he represents, comes in you. Wow. How can that all fit in there? You know, the kingdom of God is in you. It's because of Jesus. Kingdom also represents how things are done. He has the authority for all things. A king is, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, he's the one who represents all authority. So he said, the kingdom come. And then he goes on to say, that will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. So let me just ask you this. Even people who don't know much about God or church or everything, you ask them, what's heaven like? So you tell me, what are about two or three things that you know that the whole world knows what heaven's like? Number one, what, what, tell me. 
What's it like in heaven? It's not a trick question. No sickness. No sickness in heaven. Everybody agree? Let's make sure we all, no sickness in heaven. We all agree about that? Okay. So no sickness in heaven. That's the will of God in heaven. All right. Number two, what's another thing? No crime. No sadness, no tears, no bills. No sin. No hate or bitterness. I'm still looking for one. No death. What? No poverty. No poverty. No sickness, no poverty, no lack. Well, that's the heaven I'm going to. Are you all going to a heaven like that? I'm just making sure. I mean... If you don't want to go to that, you are going to live on a different street than I am in heaven. But anyway, there's no lack or poverty in heaven. No sickness in heaven. So here he says, in verse 10, he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done. So we just got through saying your will. And we didn't mention a bunch of other things. How about relationships and, and getting along with people and not being offended and, and not being touchy? I like that one. That's not going to be in heaven. So he's saying, your will be done, where? On earth. Is Pueblo on the earth? Just making sure. So your will be done in Pueblo, how? As it is in heaven. I'm just, I'm just amazed how church people, Christians mostly, will, will come against me when I say, you know, that uh, God wants you healed and God wants you blessed and God wants you to prosper. And they go, you're just speaking. You're just, I may even be called a cult. And I'm just saying, well, if this is part of the cult, I'm part of it because it says your kingdom come, your will, your will, not Mike's will. I'm not talking about my will. I'm not talking about anybody's will. I'm talking about God's will. So it says, your will be done. And what is this will? It's the same as it is in heaven. Wow. So don't let people intimidate you when they say, well, you just, people still get sick. You still get sick. So what do you believe in that? Because I'm believing that the will of, of heaven is what I'm believing. That's what I'm believing. So when it comes to, to health, when it comes to wealth, I'm going to believe what the, the Word says. Let's believe what the Word says. What is the will of God? The same as it is in heaven. It, he wants it done in Pueblo. All right? Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, you can look at this in two ways. I know some theologians say this is a statement. It's not a request. You know, it's kind of like your kid who comes in... Uh, for lunch, you know, on this hot summer day, and says, I want some food. They don't really ask, you know, as a parent, you know, and there's going to be some moms say, excuse me. But, you know, basically, you know, kids, they, they don't really ask for food and, like, they're getting permission. They know we're going to feed them, hopefully. But they know that. You can look at it that way. Or you can look at it as part of the old covenant. They did have to believe that. But part of the new, do we have to believe that? Or not believe that. Do we know that we have that? 2 Peter 1.3 says that how God has given us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. Would food be fit under that category? Of course it would. God has given, he's provided everything that pertains to life 
and to godliness. And so uh, that could be why I say also that it's not really a new covenant prayer. And I, and I know some people can get offended about that. Then verse 12, we're going to spend a few minutes on this. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In other words, <coughs> everything that we do wrong, forgive us. And then forgive people who, I, I want to make sure that I forgive people who do me wrong. And it goes on toward the end of that prayer. And it says this, it says, and if you don't forgive, neither will your heavenly father forgive you. That's always kind of a scary one to me. If you don't forgive, God's not going to forgive you. This is why this is an old covenant prayer. Does God base forgiveness upon whether or not you forgive? Just think about it. Because I was raised in church. If I didn't forgive people, God turned his back on me. If I didn't forgive people, I couldn't get my prayers answered. If I didn't forgive people, then you don't deserve anything. And if you keep bitterness in your heart, you could lose your salvation. Well, I was taught that. I don't know what you were taught. But this is the thing. 2 Corinthians 5.19. Before I quote this scripture, listen to this. Jesus said that before the cross. After the cross, Paul wrote three-fourths of the New Testament. No place can you find in, the, in all of that, from Acts to Revelation, no place can you find where it is quoted that if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. There's a place that's close to that, but if you look it up in the Greek, it's in Colossians chapter 3, I think 13 or 23. It says you need to forgive as your heavenly Father has forgiven you. It says that. But it does not say, if you don't, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. It doesn't say that ever again. Jesus said it. Why? Why? Because under the old covenant, that's the way it was. Are you listening? Before the cross, that's the way it was. If you don't forgive... God doesn't forgive you. The cross. The cross. You know, Easter is coming, but I'm telling you, we don't understand how powerful the cross is. It took away things that you and I could never take away. It brought up us up to a standard that we could never rise to. It's called being seated in the heavenly places where you and I could never find a way to get there. We never could. But God made a way where it seems like there's no way. What did that? It's called the cross. So Paul doesn't say that ever. It's never said that after Jesus said it. 2 Corinthians 5.19 does talk about sins and what happened to them. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. You don't really need to know what that means in the Greek, do you? Do you need that explained? But if you study it in the Greek, that the terminology there is an accounting term. I'm not an accountant, but, you know, when it comes to accounting term, an accountant, you know, when they are keeping their records, 
How many know that they don't, it's not uh, $194 and they round off everything. Oh, we just rounded off to $200. No, they put 100 and if it was $194.13 on their document, their records, $194.13. It's precise to the penny. So this terminology is an accounting term. It says that God is no longer counting people's sins against them this this is the good news that you and I need to preach to teach you know instead of telling people you know all your sins you're going to go to hell because of your sins they're not going to hell because of their sins they are not listen people's sins are not causing them to go to hell newsflash the only thing that's going to cause people to go to hell is because they don't believe in Jesus. That's the only thing that causes people to go to hell. So people think, well, I'm just a sinner, so, you know, I'm not good enough to go to your church. No, Jesus not even counting your sins against you. So that's another reason why I say, you know, when people say, well, if I don't forgive people, Jesus isn't going to forgive me. Well, you know, if you don't forgive, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, that's a sin. Is that right? That would be a sin if you hold unforgiveness in your heart. But according to 2 Corinthians 5, 19, God is not counting any of my sins against me. Therefore, that's why it says in 2 Corinthians that all of the promises of God, all of them are yes and amen. Why? Because sin cannot keep the promises away from me. Yeah, you can get a little happier than that, but that's all right. God is not withholding anything when I sin. You know, and I used to go, I used to avoid church. Avoid, and most people who go to church, if they do something really bad or wrong, they don't go to church. I'm not going to go to church. If, if they wouldn't tell you the truth, you know, why? Man, I cheated on my taxes. I can't go to church. The roof may fall in. <laughs> I can't do that because I sinned or I lied. I cheated. I did this. I'm not that. I sinned. So I don't gonna, I'm not going to go to church and I'm definitely not going to pray. If I go to God, you know, he's going to whack me upside the head and go, oh, you sinner, you, you know. And we, we have this mentality. So guess what? People are staying away from church by the millions, the billions. People are staying away from the throne of grace by the billions. Why? Because they feel this guilt and condemnation because they know that I've done wrong. Well, God says, you may have done wrong, but I'm not holding it against you. I didn't even write it down. I'm not keeping an accounting uh, certificate or record of that. Wow. So that's my point about saying this is really an old covenant prayer. Because according to the new covenant, my sins are not even recorded anymore. Not any of them. None of them. Not one single sin is being recorded in heaven. After the cross, Jesus took the records and says, that, that's an old covenant record book. I don't keep those records anymore. Under the old covenant, everything was written down. Can you imagine the library? You talk about the Library of Congress. How about the Library of Sin? Which the Library of Congress may fall. No, but I'm just kidding. But anyway, it may fall into that category. But 
God's not counting any sins against humanity ever again. So that's why there, there has been a, uh, uh, people who rise up and say, well, the whole world's saved then. They call it inclusion, uh, and they call it, uh, what's the other word? I just went blank. There's two words, inclusion and it is delusion, <laughs> but that's not it. But they, it's where everybody's saved. That's, that's false doctrine. You have to believe upon Jesus to get saved. Is everybody's sins forgiven? Yes. But to claim that, you have to believe Jesus for that to be enacted. It does you no good if you don't, if you don't believe in Jesus. Is everybody perfectly clear on that? Amen. All right. Now, going back to this, to forgive your debtors. So you're saying, Pastor, I don't have to forgive anybody anymore? Well, as far as Jesus is concerned, this is the thing. He tells us, and Paul says this in Colossians, he says, you need to make sure that you forgive because Jesus has forgiven you. We get the cart before the horse, even in the new covenant. We say this, if I don't forgive like Jesus, then I'm not going to be forgiven. No, this is where we're missing it. Jesus has forgiven you and me of everything. And when you have a revelation of how much he loves you and has forgiven you. Listen to this now. It has set you free. Once you understand how much Jesus has forgiven you, then you can forgive everybody that does you wrong no matter what. Listen to me. If you're having a hard time forgiving someone, which I've heard every Tom, Dick, and Harry Christian say, yeah, I'm having a hard time forgiving them. Listen. This may be offensive, but it'll help you in the long run. You know, when you rip off the Band-Aid, it hurts at first, but it'll get better. So we're going to rip it off. Here it goes. If you're having a hard time forgiving somebody, you're telling me you don't have a revelation of how much you've been forgiven. Because if you know how much God has forgiven you, oh, it's simple to forgive everybody. But if, you don't, if you're having a hard time, well, Pastor, you just don't know what they've done to me. You just don't know. You've probably never been done this, but I've been done this. There's probably nobody on the planet that's been done that, here, except for you. Let's just believe that for two seconds. You are the only one that's been done that wrong. None of us could do right to get heaven and the things that God has given us. None of us could. We all deserve hell. We all deserve the worst. But God made a way. Because it's called grace. And he says, I'm going to purchase you and claim you as mine. And everything that you have ever done, listen to me, are doing or will do is forgiven. My past, my present, and my future, every sin that I will ever commit has been forgiven. Has been. Jesus isn't, you do realize if you sin today or tomorrow or next week, I'm sure you'll sin before next week, but anyway, but whenever you sin, Jesus isn't going to come again and die on the cross again. You do understand that. Why? Because he said it's a sacrifice that's been taken care of for all time, for all humanity, forever. For all of the past, from Adam to the very last 
second that man will be on this planet, every sin's been forgiven and taken care of. Wow. Every single sin has been taken care of. And God's not counting them anymore. Having said that, all right, let's back up a little bit. So, Pastor, do we not have to forgive people? No, Paul says we need to forgive because if you understand how much God has forgiven you, you forgive in the same way. That's why Jesus is up on the cross, and what does he say? Father, forgive them. When Stephen, he was preaching the gospel, and all the religious people started throwing stones at him to kill him, and they did kill him, but his last breath was, you know, Father, don't lay this sin against them. How can he talk like that? He had a revelation that he was forgiven. So it was easy for People were killing him. You know, we have a hard time when somebody cuts us off in traffic to forgive them. But, I mean, they were killing him. They were killing him. And he said, forgive him. No biggie. Wow. So being murdered is nothing compared to what God has forgiven us. That's what he's saying. And, you know, but we, we think in our emotional, psychological, mentality, messed up mind is that we have a hard time forgiving. You have to find out. And this is a good prayer. You know, Lord, I, I'm having a hard time forgiving so-and-so. I'm having a hard time forgiving my wife. I'm having a hard time forgiving my husband. And here's a biggie. I'm having a hard time forgiving my ex. You know, you don't know how wicked... They were. I probably don't. But I know one thing. You find out how much God loves you and forgives you, it will be easy to forgive them. And I do mean easy. Recently, um, there was two families that um, basically stole $6,000 from me. And, uh, yeah, it's stone. And um, six grand, that's that's. Not pocket change, but, uh, and so uh, as soon as that happened, and it happened within a 30-day period time that the, they stole this money from me and got this money from me, and uh, <clears throat> my first thought was, you know, besides, you know, well, the very first thought of hopefully the earth will open up and swallow them, but my next thought was, <laughs> that was a joke, come on. I watched the Ten Commandments. But anyway, uh, but I thought that, you know, my son's car, uh, it's, it's, it's got 200-something thousand miles. I thought, man, I could have bought him a better car at $6,000. And then I started thinking, yeah, and I could have did this with that 6000 And I could have, ooh, and I could have did this. And, and the Lord just stopped me and said, it's just money, and I can replace that. You need to pray for them. You know why the Bible says to pray for them who despitefully use you, who harm you, who offend you, who are mean to you? You know why God says to pray for them? You know, most of the time people th have this attitude, you know, yeah, I'll pray for them. I pray the earth opens up and swallows. That's what I pray. No, God wants you to pray for them for you. For you. So I did. I started praying for them. You know, Lord, open up their eyes that they may, first of all, know how much God loves them. Open up their eyes that they, they, they can be free from all of it because I know they're going to feel guilt. One day, they're going to feel guilty and condemned of what they've done. 
I don't care if you, who you are. If you steal, you do something wrong, you know you've done wrong. Nobody needs to tell you, you know, it was wrong to steal $6,000. That was just not nice. Well, they know that. So what's going to be the repercussions? Guilt and condemnation. So I said, Lord, let them know that I've forgiven them. Let them know that they can be free from all guilt and condemnation. Let them know that they can live the life of Jesus and Christ can live in them and they can be so free from everything that has kept them in bondage. You start praying like that for people, you will not be offended. It just lifts off the offense of what they've done to you. So when you pray for people, it's actually for you more so than it is for that person. You can't pray blessings and, and good things upon people who have done you wrong and you still feel hurt. Are you there? So you think, you mean i got to pray blessing on them? They're the ones who did wrong to me. I'm waiting for them to f- tell me they're sorry. They've never said they're sorry. Guess what? Jesus forgave you before you said you were sorry, before you were even born, before you were born, born. With a B. Before you were born, Jesus says, I forgive you. You know, we have a mentality is if they don't ask for forgiveness, then I don't have to give it. According to 2 Corinthians 5 19, he says, I'm not counting any of your sins against you before you even ask for forgiveness. Yeah. So we think that, listen, it has set you free. It set me free when these, these people did this against me. It set me free to say, I've forgiven them, Lord. I'm not holding it against them. I'm not writing it down. I forgive them. I'm free. This is, it never happened. You realize that's what God does for you and me. When you sin or you do wrong, he says, I've forgiven you to the degree. That's why I don't keep a record book of it because in my books, it never happened. Never happened. Oh, Pastor Mike, I tell you what, it did happen to me. Well, you need to forgive him. And just because you forgive him doesn't mean that that thought of what they did won't come back. But this is what I do know. When I forgive somebody and those thoughts of, come back, I go, no, 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 no. I've forgiven them, and then I pray blessing over them again. You may have to do that a hundred times the first day. Some of you a thousand times the first day. And if you stay up for 20 hours, maybe 10,000 times. But guess what? The next day, it'll be less. The next week, it'll be less. The next month, it'll be less. The next year, all of a sudden, because the devil doesn't want you praying like that. You want to get the devil off your back? Just start praying blessings over everybody who does you wrong. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. Oh, Lord, they're probably in a hurry. Help them to get safely to their destination. Hallelujah. I know some of you are praying, Lord, may a thousand fleas crawl up their nose and give birth all over their body. Anyways. You pray blessing. And so the devil, he's going to get off your case really quick. Now, if I ever have a memory of something done wrong, I still have the memory, but it's, it's, it's not a memory that causes hurt or pain or sorrow. And then to be honest with you, after a few years, I don't even have memory of it, period. 
I didn't get that way by holding a grudge. Do you realize this is why God says holding that sin of unforgiveness won't keep any promise of God from you, but this is what it will do. There are repercussions in the natural realm. It will affect you physically. It will rob you of your health. And it won't be because of God. Unforgiveness and bitterness attacks your body. And your body was not built by God to hold on to bitterness. It's just not, the, it's not in your DNA to be okay for you to hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness. So if you get some kind of sickness and, you know, and you more than likely will. It may not be next month, next year. It may be when you're 60 or 70 or 80. I'm saying, but it will come knocking on your door. And you know what? You can cry out to God and you'll get healed. You can believe for healing for that right away. And God will not withhold healing. But listen to me. If you still hold on to that bitterness and unforgiveness, come back more than likely. So what's the cure? God, you have forgiven me. Who am I to hold unforgiveness? Who am I to hold that against anybody? So you let it go and it sets you free. And you start praying blessing over them. You start praying the blessing of God upon them. And let's be real. We've all been hurt, haven't you? You know, I mean, uh, whether it's maybe your spouse had an affair and ran off with some cute little thing or cute little whatever or handsome little dude. But listen, you can forgive. You can. I know several people that have an awesome, awesome marriage. And that happened. They forgave their spouse. They forgave them. And the Lord blessed them. I'm not saying that you have to stay with a spouse that has an affair, but I am saying this. It's, it's possible. And um, if both of them want to stay together, God can heal that, I'm telling you. But you will have to deal with unforgiveness and bitterness. You can't hang on to that because it will not only affect your relationship. Let's just put it down where we live. If you're holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness, it's not just going to affect your marriage, but it affects every area of your life. You know, those grumpy people at the grocery store and, and those grumpy people that cut you off, there's, they're, they're just hurting people. They've been done wrong. And they haven't forgiven. And it just keeps adding. There's more of that. Can't you just sense it in America? I mean, our nation is just like, we're just, have you seen that picture of that cat? Its fur is just sticking out everywhere. And it's just going crazy. And it says, I've, I've lost every nerve and you're standing on the last one that I've had. That's really America. Everybody's just ready to pop off, just ready and going stressed out of their gourd. What's the cure for that? It's the love of God. Do you realize how much God loves you? It's an easy thing to forgive people when they do you wrong. From the littlest thing, cutting you off in traffic, or, or you know, I, I was at the drive through bank, and it was just full, and I pulled up, and, and all of a sudden, all, all of the lanes, none of us were getting waiting on. And I think, you know, the person, there was only one person there. They probably had to run to the restroom when they came back. But I was the first one that pulled up. First, everybody understand? If you're the first one to pull up, 
You should be the first one it's waited on. Everybody know the rules? You go up to the drive-thru, you're the first one. So it was like three lanes, and, and I noticed, I heard it, boom, I popped. They got waited on. Then the next one got waited on. Then I got waited on. Last. So I just wanted to, you know, that button that says uh, talk or whatever. What is it? It says something. I forgot what it says. What does it say? Talk. Call. Yeah, call. I wanted to push that button. So it, I had to. You know, saying, you know, I'm just saying, I was the first one. And, and there, it wouldn't have been so bad if it was real quick, but it was like, man, did they take out an IRA or what, man? I mean, it was like forever. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the longer you wait and you're and you know, I tell this to everybody. I said, you know, I'm in a hurry. The whole world's in a hurry. So get in line. <laughs> I remember when I was in Bible school, I was uh, just uh, dating Melody and her d- dad was one of the professors at the at the college, and so him and I were walking, and I was going to get a tape, at, uh, a student tape from the line, and he was walking with me. I don't know if you remember this, yeah, cassette tape. You know, young people don't know what that is, but it was a cassette tape, and um, and the line was like from here to the sound booth. I went, oh my goodness, and Dad just looked at me and he says, well. If you go to Africa, this is nothing. He says, the lines, you know, you just got to have patience and because, you know, it's just going to mess up, mess you up and everything. And I never forgot that, and that was over 30 years ago. You just got to know because the devil is going to try to wreak havoc in your life. Any little crack that he can, the Bible says this, he seeks whom he may devour. Who is he seeking? People who don't know how much they've been forgiven, how much God loves them. He's seeking people who who don't know anything about the fruit of the Spirit that I've been given patience. I am the most patient man you will ever meet. I'm patient. You are the most patient person that you'll ever meet. Patience has been abundantly put inside of you. Peace has been abundantly put inside of you. Love and kindness. Oh, here's a good one. Kindness has abundantly been put inside of you. And everybody's spouse goes, where is it? (laughs) It's in there. This is why you come to church because you get a revelation that I've got that. I've been trying to be patient. I've been trying to be kind. I've been trying to do all this and all alone, I've got it. So I need to say and confess, I am a patient man. Every day you wake up, I, if you have a problem with patience, if you have a problem with kindness, you need to wake up every day. You need to put it on your sun visor when you pull it down. You need to put it on your iPhone to, to beep every hour and say, I am patient because it's in me. That's what I am. I am that I am I am. I'm patient. And you start confessing that and believing it, and you're going to see what's on the inside because, see, are you ready? God has placed everything on the inside of you, and he's waiting on you and me to make it manifest on the outside. It's not his responsibility to make it manifest. It's mine and yours. Did you get that? Healing is on the inside of you. Prosperity is on the inside of you. Patience and, and the fruit of the Spirit, everything's on the inside of you. He's got it on the inside of you. He put it on the inside of you, and he says it's up to you to make it manifest. Ephesians 3.20, God is doing exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think according to the power that is 
in us. So it's in us. So God says, I put it in you. Now it's up to you to make it manifest. How do we make it manifest? Well, you first of all, you've got to believe and know that it's in you. Most Christians don't know what's in them. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Let's stand.